You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and check us out online at beardedtheologians.com. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And uh, today we have a very special guest with us, uh, the Reverend Sarah Heath. She's a um, she's originally from Canada and uh, Southern Mississippi, so I'm sure that's quite an accent that you have combining those two. So mm-hmm. you know, it's always fun. Uh, but she is the lead pastor at First United Methodist Church in Costa Mesa, California. And uh, Sarah, we're really excited to have you on. Um, so we would, other than that brief little introduction, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, actually, my accent is um, Brother Nadian, which is, um, I've said this before because my best friend used to say it all the time. My mother is British. Um, we, I grew up in Canada, and then I moved to Mississippi. So I'm British, Southern Canadian. So I'm Brother Nadian. Um, and all of those accents come out of my mouth. <laughs> That's awesome. So I always have to give that disclaimer, like, before I speak at events and such. I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I'll be trying to, like, guess where I'm from. It's not going to help. It is not going to help. My accent is all over the... And the problem, too, with having, like, the sort of the the accent that any accent can add to is you pick up people's accents, and it almost seems like you're being rude. But all of a sudden, I'll be with my Australian friend and be like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm mimicking you. I'm not trying to. There it is. Um, yeah, so I'm a United Methodist pastor, um, and I'm a writer and speaker and artist, and um, I don't know what else. Yeah, that's me. Um, I've been doing ministry for about 12 years now. Um, went to Duke for under or for graduate school. I'm trying to think. You said what else would I add to my bio? I have a really sure. great dog who might run. You might hear that his nails because I'm a bad dog parent right now, and he needs the nails trimmed. Um, so I have hardwood floors. So you might hear him hit a wall. Is the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> he just runs. So, so Sarah, you have a new uh, book. Uh, actually, it's already out. Um, it is you want, out. You want to tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. It's uh, it's actually a book, which uh, the book itself is uh, a book and a journal combined. Um, and then there is a video series that goes with it and a leader's guide that goes with the video series. So it's a, a book that can just be read on its own or it can be curriculum that you use in a small group. And it's called What's Your Story? Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes and How Joseph's Story Can Help You Tell Your Own. Now, the double entendre there is that it's uh, Joseph from the Old Testament, but it's also Joseph Campbell. Um, Joseph Campbell, who's a story narrative um, theorist who um, I just love his stuff and I love the idea of um, the epic journey and how we're all kind of on it. And I think it's problematic when we look at scripture as, um, as a history book um, because that just doesn't fulfill all that it is. And so uh, I think the, that I went to a conference called Storyline about, oh gosh, six years ago, maybe five years ago. And um, it was by Donald Miller. And he began by talking about story arc. And he used uh, Joseph from the book of Genesis as like a great example of a story. And everyone else started looking at their own storylines. And I spent like a day just mapping out the Joseph story. Because it's always been one that captivated me. You can blame my mom because she took me to uh, the musical when I was 12. And like, (laughs) 
Donny Osmond was, he was past his prime, but that man could still sing and dance. And he, had, he was beautiful, just like, the, I remember saying to my mom, like, why does this man more beautiful than me? Um, <laughs> do, you, so, do you have like the uh, Technicolor dream coat like that you bought from the show and took home? No, but I do somewhere, somewhere is the t-shirt. <laughs> I know it's somewhere. Um, and so I think from a very early age, I was super interested in story from, I started acting pretty young um, and enjoyed that and would do dancing and acting and um, just love, um, I think in preaching too, we're, we're telling a story where, um, you know, we happen to believe the story contains the big truths, uh, but we are, we're creating and crafting moments for people. And so the book is uh, got typography in it because another thing that um, myself and then another girl, Emily Shocker, who's also a typography artist, I would call her a typography artist and then me, someone who tries. Um, we just put questions, uh, you know, what were you like at 17? Um, so that's the book. You can work through it on your own or in a group. And then um, what God has given me, probably the biggest blessing in my life is I have a lot of humans um, in my life who have incredible stories. And so uh, actually six of my friends, there's uh, five video pieces. Um, so there's four that go with each act of the book. And then there's one bonus um, section. But uh, my friend, uh, his name's Mike McCurry. People call him Science Mike. He did a video that talks about um, his story from 17 and how uh, it required him to leave everything he knew. Sort of the idea of Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey begins with stepping out of your comfort zone. So he was a Southern Baptist who became an atheist for a while in order to end up Methodist, like you do. Um, and then <laughs> my other friend uh, tells the story about the plot thickening when he discovered at 17 that he had a virus that would most likely uh, demand that he have a heart transplant. So at 30, he had a heart transplant. Um, then there's the idea of desire and what that's what makes us who we are. So my friend Michelle, who at 32 years old, was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer after having her second child. Um, she tells about how she'd always been sort of someone who was looking to help other people, but it wasn't until she felt like she had the credentials of having had um, such serious cancer that she has become an amazing spokesperson for Susan G. Komen. I'm on her team, it's called Team Michelle. We raised close to a million dollars and then through that, she also discovered that she could not have children anymore, and they had always wanted more. And so they adopted a little guy, and he's from Ethiopia. And they discovered uh, after adopting him that he has um, special needs. And so she is this advocate that's getting to fulfill who she believes God created her to be. Um, and it's all come through some pretty difficult ways. And then the, the final story that goes along with the book is... Um, my friend Dan Davidson, who uh, is a United Methodist, or not, sorry, free Methodist pastor, who had this just right out of seminary. He was the guy all of us were jealous of. He has sweet tats. He had this like really cool hipster wife. And they moved to Pomona and they had this really cool church. And we all thought like, there's the climax. He got everything he wanted. He started a new church. It grew like you wouldn't believe. And the rest of us are like in the trenches. And uh, then he discovered she was having an affair on him. And it was with someone in the church. So he lost his job and uh, we were having breakfast and he said, well, at least I haven't lost my health. And then um, I think about a week later after that, he uh, was hit by a car. So he tells, wow. but now he's got this amazing ability to have empathy and he's doing great and his story is so powerful. Um, so he tells his story and then the bonus um, part to help people understand the power of their story. I have these friends, um, Lisa and Michael Gungor, um, they're in a band called Gungor, um, husband and wife. 
and uh, it was, gosh, almost three years ago now that um, their daughter, Lucette, was born, and um, we discovered that she had Down syndrome, and so that was a fairly difficult uh, time for them, um, but what also hit at that exact same time, we had all just sort of met um, Mike, uh, Michael Gungor, Mike McCurg, myself, Lisa, and some other folks had met at an event. And so uh, we had just started to become really good friends. And in the midst of discovering your child and having your daughter have Down syndrome, who, by the way, she's the cutest human that God has ever made, um, they discover that a story has been leaked that they are not fundamental Christians, which was not a shocker to any of us who actually knew them, but was a shock to their fan base. And so they kind of lost everything um, within a couple of weeks as far as like tours and all this sort of stuff. But what was really great out of all of it is that they began telling their true story. So not this pedestal Christian that a lot of people had um, pegged them as, but they started talking about what it means to have doubts, what it means to, um, kind of be this more uh, progressive Christian than most people think um, these stars are. And so anyway, those are the, that's the book. That's the video. That was a really long explanation. Cut it if you need to, but yeah, that's what, that's what I've been working on. And then I also launched a new church. So there's that. Yeah. Well, like no big to, deal, right? Well, we forgot to tell you this. <laughs> uh, we forgot to tell you this is like a one take kind of deal. So like, it, it's like yeah. really being in a conversation. And so, we like what we had. I mean, I like what you had and I'm the one that, that handles all this. And so as you were, um, the, the thing, um, I always enjoy about talking with you, um, in the times that, you know, I've gotten to just sit down and, and chat is, you know, you're, you can tell that you have the love for the story, even as you put mm -hmm. this together, um, you, you have a just general love for the story. And so how does that play out for you as you, uh, pastor with people in the midst of just craziness of life? Yeah. Um, well, I'm constantly reminded that oftentimes we, we think we know someone's story and we don't. Um, and so for me, it, it plays out in that I am always trying to be open to hearing other people's stories. And, um, you know, our, our church, so we did, we, we had a relaunch. Our church relaunched in July. So a restart is what it's called. I was appointed to a church that's 80 years old. Well, the church building's 80 years old. The church itself was made in 1912, so it's over 100 years old. Um, and they had about 17 to 27 um, mostly elderly folks attending. Um, and it's in the heart of the city of Costa Mesa. And so they brought me in. They're like, hey, what would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I met with a bunch of people and decided to, um, that really what the church needed, what the community needed was a church that was pretty serious about Jesus, but also about, um, you know, inclusion a little more progressive than some of the other communities. Um, they have a chick pastor, so, you know, that starts it. Um, and so how that's played out for me is trying to balance both learning the story of the new people and honoring the story of the folks who have been there and understanding that in order for our story to move forward together, um, it's going to take real listening on both sides. So that's been um, huge and hugely helpful for me because in the moments when people are frustrating to remember that something in their story is being triggered or, um, you know, even remembering that this is, won't last forever because <laughs> there's going to be a plot twist at some point um, has been helpful. Uh, so I think that's how I play that. Also in the way I preach, um, I'm always looking for where we are in the narrative and the, in the story arc, you know, we, we relive the story of Christ on a yearly basis, right? Um, as we follow electionary year, however you may do that. I do series, but, it does also follow the lectionary year. 
And so I, I think it's important for us to always point out that we're in the midst of a story as well as hearing about a story. You're right, Matt. I think my the story addiction is it's that's real. <laughs> um, so I love hearing people's stories, <laughs> and sometimes like people, uh, friends of mine have always pointed out like we go to a bar and someone will tell you their whole life story. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm interested. I want to know more. So. Right. Well, you know, and in, in <clears throat> stories are important. I mean, that's that's what we're trying try to do here is is have a venue where people can hear and and listen to stories so they're not know they're not alone. Um, and, and so, uh, with, within your, within your church, within your community there, um, not only telling God's story and, and living in and through that narrative, how are you encouraging, uh, the folks that whether they walk through your door at church or into the bar, you know, and pull up a stool, wherever you meet people and hear their stories, um, and share your own, how are you encouraging people to then go from there and continue to share their story? I think that's um, one thing I like to say all the time, and I'm pretty sure I stole this from someone, but I don't remember where. Um, so, but it's that I have what I call the ministry of me too. And that um, I love to point out in people's stories where it connects to other people's stories um, to sort of remind them that there's this really powerful me too moment. I also like to say to people, there is a gospel within each of us that we hold and have that if we don't tell someone will not hear. And by that, I mean, there are lots of people who aren't walk through the church doors. There are lots of people who aren't particularly uh, fascinated with the way that Christianity is being lived out today. Um, it's interesting. I usually find people are really interested in the Jesus story. They're not just, they're just not really big fans of their followers. But um, so I think I always remind people like there is something so unique about your story that if you don't share it, no one's going to hear it. And yeah you know, what would the world miss if you didn't tell your story? And right. I think that's really powerful. That actually was something that stuck out to me from the work of Donald Miller um, with, uh, he worked a lot with kind of understanding logo uh, therapy or understanding redeeming difficult times. And I think uh, people often think they don't have a great story. Um, mm -hmm. I just taught a, a class at Azusa Pacific University. They have a group of folks who are doing, uh, it's like entrepreneurship. So it's a neat class. They take it for, uh, I forget how many weeks, but um, they are in this class from seven to 10 on Monday nights, which I can't imagine, like seven to 10. Um, but they, uh, they're learning about, they, they all have an idea that they want to launch. And so, of course, when I come in, the first, one of the first things I ask is like, what's your name? And like, what, what are you hoping to do? And so they go around the room and there's this one guy who um, shares that, he uh, hopes to create a different sort of um, way of doing online classes for higher education. Now other people are telling their story like, you know, there's a couple that uh, has dealt with infertility and they want to deal with how can we help folks who have infertility issues in the church learn how to narrate their story. It's just beautiful. One kid was like, I want to teach fifth and sixth graders how to do speech so that they have a better understanding of themselves than others. Um, you know, in a, in a time when kids are spending so much time um, online or um, they're not learning the interpersonal skills that speech teaches as much later in life. So just these really great stories, but I had them do a timeline. I always make people do a timeline. And this one kid says, I shouldn't say kid, like he's a professor at APU, but he says that, <laughs> he says it's a great thing where he just says, yeah, nothing's bad has ever happened in my life. I mean, really, I mean, I guess you could consider the fact like 
the hardest thing for me probably was that I have ADHD and so school was really hard for me and so I needed to move more quickly than school went and so that was really hard for me and it meant that it was you know high school was horrible my grades weren't that great and then when I got into college um, I would excel in certain classes but I'd get done with my work and then I wouldn't go anymore so I didn't turn my homework in so then I'd do well on the test but my grades didn't show it because I wasn't doing any of the assignments he's like but nothing like I mean, having ADHD also like separated me from other people, but like nothing bad's happened in my life. This was the guy. <laughs> and I said, all right, that's interesting. So you want to create um, online courses for higher ed so people can work at their own pace, but you don't think that has to do with your story. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden in the class, someone, someone said, I got to be honest with you. And they've been together for like four weeks. And when you have a class that long and you're together, they, they kind of know each other's story and they're learning how to pitch. So my part of the pitch is why do you do what you do? That's what I teach entrepreneurs. You know, I think it's really important in a time when people don't really care what you do, they care why you do it. And so this girl says, I thought it was great. She's like, I'm just going to be honest. And she goes, I didn't care about what you were doing until today. She said, until I knew your story and why it mattered, like it doesn't really matter to me. And this other guy said, same thing for me. And oh, by the way, I also have ADHD and I quit college. Um, but if I could have taken these courses, at my speed, I would have been able to do much better, um, you know, whether that's faster or slower. So it was this really powerful moment where I'm reminded again and again that many of us walk around with these stories that we're like, no, that's normal. That's usual. Everyone, mm -hmm. everyone has ADHD and can't go through school, but that's not true, right? Right. Um, so that's, I think, the power of and why I encourage people to dig into their story. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, we, that, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, go ahead, Zach. I, I was just going to affirm that that's something that I, I um, encourage my, converse, uh, my congregation to do is you, your story is a story somebody's begging to hear. Whether you think it's uneventful or not, it's important mm -hmm. to somebody. So don't, don't be afraid to tell it. And that's huge. Uh, you know, you, you run across people in, in all facets of, facets of ministry that are like, ah, my story's boring. It doesn't involve this, this, and this. And it's like, no, but there's redemption in your story no matter where you are. Uh, so tell it, please, because somebody's somebody out there is begging to, to hear it because uh, we're going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just uh, incredible. Uh, we have all this stuff going on as our church has grown. I mean, it grew pretty quickly, which is was a lot at once. I had a book deadline, mm -hmm. and then our church grew fairly quickly. And so there's just so much going on. And I was the only staff member until January. <laughs> so it was just a lot. <laughs> and yeah. I, uh, what I found really interesting is why people were coming and the traction we were gaining was either they'd heard me on a podcast, they've been on a couple, couple of podcasts, never with two guys with such handsome beards, but um, <laughs> and they had heard me. And so they showed up because something in their story resonated with my story or they were, and, but then it didn't become about me anymore because once they got to the community, they found these like other people they could share um, in God's story together. And so it's, I don't know, it's just incredible. Like this one girl said to me last night, she's like, our church doesn't make any, like who, how did these people all come together? And it's like, I don't really know other than like, <laughs> we've learned how to hear and tell a story. Well, I think that that's, that's the, to me, that's been the thing that, if anything has frustrated me in my ministry, it's the fact that we've forgotten to tell the story and that, that we are part of this larger story that continues on. And far too often we stop at Easter and that's it. And, mm. uh, Oh, we'll check back in at Advent and that's mm -hmm. it. And, and we forget that 
um, not only the season in between, but the whole story is just beautiful in itself and that we're part of that story as well. We're the continuation, you know, we're, you know, years down the road, someone's actually going to be talking about us and the, and the faith and life and journey that we lived, hopefully. Uh, and um, I get so frustrated when people get so caught up in, you know, well, like, you know, they grew by 25% and, you know, they, you know, they start throwing those numbers at me and I was like, Oh mm-hmm. no, no. Like, tell me like, how did they get there? Or what went on? Like, why, why does this place have life? And I, and I love to hear those things. Like, and that's one of the things I've, I've appreciated about getting to know you the last few years is like, you bring so much life to the table. Uh, that's just so much fun uh, to get to talk with you and, and to hang with you the times that I have and, and just enjoyed that. Uh, we actually have a Gunger story. Uh, Zach and I do. Uh, we, uh, we were at Houston for world Methodist conference and we met this guy, uh, Todd, who's actually been on the podcast before to talk about uh, youth ministry. Uh, he said, Hey, do you want to come listen to their sound check? And so we were like, sure. Like we thought we'd just hang out in the back and listen and just kind of be in awe. So the next thing we know we, we did that, but the next thing we know we're like sitting in a practice session with it, like in their practice session as they're going through what they're going to do that night. And it was just like, it was the own little personal concert that was just awesome. And I mean, we, and then after the concert, we sat down and talked, or we didn't really sit down with them, but we, we talked to them for a little bit and just had just a great conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Um, They're incredible humans. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I enjoyed talking with them. Uh, and they were just so down to earth, um, mm-hmm. which hadn't yeah. been my, my experience before with other musicians. And so it was just like, it was <laughs> People awesome. People always ask me like, what are Michael and Lisa like? And I'm like, like Michael and Lisa. <laughs> like, right. What you see here on the podcast is what you get. <laughs> They're right. amazing. Uh, good friends. Just They've been there, I think, in some of those places for me where I've had, um, you know, doubt or fear or who am I? So one of the things that United Methodism, Zach, you're a United Methodist pastor too, right? I am, yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So one of the things within United Methodism and our structure that I think was meant to be really healthy but has become unhealthy um, was the idea that the itinerant pastor, because we move around, ministry is never about us. Okay, which I think is great. The community should own their community. That's great. The problem is, is we learned at some point along the way that we were easily replaceable by anyone else who comes along. And bishops and DSs and whatnot started appointing people because it doesn't really matter. I mean, you go there, you go there. Um, And it it stopped people from having a connection with the person. Mm -hmm. And I started to believe in my ministry that even like doing podcasts and things like that or speaking at events needed to be done outside of my ministry. Now, what's really interesting is we've sort of been um, figuring out why we grew and why we continue to grow is that it's from people having a personal experience with um, myself or someone on my staff um, where they're doing that kind of thing, where they're sharing creatively. Um, we have a lot of really great musicians. Um, I, met some, I met a guy at the Wild Goose Festival. I was speaking at an event there. And he moved here from Maryland to be my creative arts director, which is a very part-time position (laughs) because he believes in that story and what's happening. And he needed a space where he could create and share that story with others. And so I I was feeling a lot of, especially from other clergy, like kind of that, like, who are you? Why are people interviewing you on podcasts? Why, why do you know these people? And so I would like actually be afraid to be a name dropper to say like, oh no, like, Michael Gungor and I text each other sometimes. <laughs> really disturbing memes. But um, it would, became this thing, right? Like, you're supposed to be so local church focused. And what I wanted to say is, like, the local church is growing because I'm being more me. And more me knows that, like, 
what I have to share or who I am can't be contained within our church, but it makes our church grow. And so I, I was kind of going through this and a friend of mine, it might've actually been Science Mike, I was sharing that kind of like pain with these people. And they said to me, huh, you're right, it should never be about you because Jesus didn't like tell the story of God by people getting to know him first and then they were ready to hear the story. I was like, oh, I was like, I just don't, I'm so afraid of like people, you know, one of the older ladies, one of the first critiques I got was the weirdest critique ever, but um, I believe the Holy Spirit helped me turn it around. But this woman said to me, because our first Sunday we had 55, which they'd had 27. And so it was like a, <laughs> so we had, but, we, but it, you know, it was like at 40 for a while. Um, now we're up between 60, 70 on Easter. We had 85. So we're not, we're not busting the doors down, friends. It's just a lot of growth. You want percentages. Our percentages yeah. are great. Just not like, um, you grew by you know, 300%. Um, but <laughs> this woman came up to me and she said, very accusatory, all these people are coming because of you. And not in like a good way. And like, they all are like fans of your work or fans of who you are. And I, it hurt, right? Because I've done everything to include these older folks in this. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I don't know why, but I'm not normally a confrontational person. And I turned and I said to her, they may have come because of me, but they're going to stay because of you. And so you now have a choice because if they really want to hear me, they can hear a podcast. If they really want to hear right. my sermons, there's tons online. Yep. So it's going to be about what we create together. So you got a choice right now. <laughs> and, and that's, right. Actually, that's exactly what I've been saying. Cause I'm going through another change. <clears throat> and so, um, and I'm actually only just moving 20 minutes down the road. <laughs> and that's so all I've, ever done. I've been in a, like a little triangle. Uh, <laughs> And so the struggle has been is just teaching them like, you know, they may have started coming because of me and my personality and how I do things on Sunday morning, but they love being here because of you all. Um, and, and, you know, they can hear me, you know, they don't even have to come to church. They can download our sermons and listen to me, but yet they come because of the community in which we created together. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing that I've been emphasizing a lot lately is that my chapter with them is coming to a close, but they have a whole new chapter. And what is that going to look mm -hmm. like? And my hope and, and prayer is that it looks better than what mine was. Right. Uh, and I want it to be better than mine was. And, and so that way they can say, you know, Hey, we had this whole season, you know, these, these several chapters of, of great times in the church, because it does shift and it does ebb and flow. I mean, that's life of any organization. And so it's, it's and so important to share story uh, even in transition or even, you know, to be, to remind people that things do end uh, stories mm -hmm. do come to an end and, and it's how, what we do with the end, which creates a new beginning. I think it's always like, I think that's the one thing as I was working on this project, um, thinking through stuff and I was looking, I was reading a lot of Donald Miller. I was reading a lot of just different um, theorists around. Cause a lot of people have done the story thing, like story is important. Um, I discovered actually after publishing, someone told me, you know, there's a whole school in Seattle learning how to tell your story and share the story of God. I was like, what? That's a thing. So I'm going to try to go to that. Um, but as I was looking at it and, and learning more, um, I think the, the thing that I, I discovered is that oftentimes, um, and I don't think, I think, Don, I don't think he meant for this to happen, but we often focus on like one climactic moment, like one big finish. And the problem is, is that's not how life goes. So we'll have like one big climactic moment 
but then we'll have, you know, a, a low. And so you meet all these people, particularly people who got famous really quickly, and they like experience the climax, but then life keeps going and they don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And so I love the way you're narrating, like, this is just one of those great things. Let's move on to what the next great thing could be. Mm-hmm. And it, like, don't even ask me if it's better or worse than the current thing. It's the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been, I, I, it's interesting because our church has grown by uh, mostly people who are in that sort of millennial age bracket. And uh, they are also people who um, are very transitional because Costa Mesa is an area where people move in and out and living in Southern California isn't always the easiest. So people are here for work or whatever. Um, But they are much more like, they hold me more loosely than like, they love having me around, but they're like, Sarah, if you're not a pastor forever, like none of us really see you doing this forever. And it's very like, no, I'm a United Methodist clergy member. I have one thing I do. And they're like, why do you do 900 other things? So I remember they were like very like worried. Um, Some of the older folks were really worried. Like, well, are you going to be an author or, and I'm like, well, first of all, I wrote one book. (laughs) I've written several (laughs) books, but like one's been published. Um, And you don't make a lot of money, you know, with the United Methodist publishing house. They're great people. It's a great project to work for. Um, But that's not, you know, I'm not trying to gain fame that way at all. And um, I remember sharing this with some of the, we have this group called Thrive Thursdays. We do a theology on tap night where we go to a pub and then um, the other nights we're in someone's home. So it's every Thursday. And uh, I was sharing with them sort of a frustration and they were like, you know, if you leave, like, that's going to be, like, sad for us, but, like, that's not going to be, like, the end of the world for us. <laughs> like, they've learned how to deal with transition, because they're, like, you're going to be in our life forever as a friend, and that's another thing that the United Methodist Church has been, done a really poor job of. Um, in this day and age of social media, in this day and age of, like, people, you cannot drop people when you leave, mm-hmm. and it's unrealistic to say if you move 20 minutes away, people aren't, what, no, I'm sorry, you can't come. Oh, great, I just won't go to church anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there is yeah. not, some of the rules have not caught up, or some of the, right. you know, things that people, older clergy will say to me, like, well, that person went to your church before. I didn't tell them to follow me, but I'm also right. not going to tell them to leave. Yeah. And you're not trying to cherry pick people or steal right. the lock, and it's not a competition. I just want people in church, whether it's mine or another, I just want them mm-hmm. in a community where they're being loved. And so that's my other, I don't know why I'm on soapboxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That's what this podcast is totally about. We just get on them and yeah. write, write it as long as we can, you know? Stay off, um, guys. I don't know. My brain's just like, let me tell you what I well, and, and that's the whole thing with this is that like our whole deal with this podcast was to be able to create space for people to come on like you and Jerry and uh, Rob. And I mean, we've had a lot of people on here uh, just to have a, just a conversation and, and to share stories and to, to have just a good old time. Some way people can see that, that the Christian faith isn't all about dogma and like correct doctrine and like this and that and those and these. It's about just having a good time and good relationships and um, you know, it, it's one of the things that sometimes, um, in the local church that we tend to forget that this does exist, you know, that these things can actually exist outside of just, you know, the building. Um, and that, you know, being actively involved, uh, outside of what we normally do, 
you know, our office hours, whatever those may be, um, to actually be engaged in the world. So way people can see us, you know, Hey, you know, Pastor Matt, he's, he referees little league basketball games, you know, oh my gosh, like how does he put up with it? And it's like, this is easier than dealing with church members sometimes. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, the, when people see us into the world, it actually helps them to be able to then come in even relate closer to you. Um, and it actually also does give you more stories to share, you know? Um, and so that's, you know, I, I think, think the best thing that happened to me is being appointed to a church that doesn't have an office. So they tore down all the buildings except for the sanctuary. Mm. And you can imagine the emotional space it created for me when yeah. I left a church that had been like, you know, not, it was great. We, you know, we had done really well. Things were growing. It was at a really good spot. And then they moved me to this church. And the week before they had done this big party for me, there was like, they tried to figure out what a hipster was. They decided it was a <laughs> like all the guys grew mustaches and um, people were just, it was adorable. And people were carrying reclaim wood because I clearly had a reclaim wood problem. And uh, <laughs> it was just like the most affirming, like people cared the moment. Yeah. And they even like sang in a circle, the most Methodist thing ever. There's 300 people like in a circle singing. Um, but then I come to a church that doesn't have an office space for me. They had an office, but they just didn't want me in it. Um, it was tiny. And, you know, the, the financial people needed that office for counting and also, you know, all this stuff. And so, but it has been the best thing because I ended up working at a co-working space. Mm-hmm. And I work at a co-working space with people in order to have a desk in this space. So I rent a, a designated desk that's like in a corner, but then there's like the bullpen area where everyone's out there. It has been the most life-affirming experience of my life. I walk in there. My first month, I would walk in there, and people would look up and be like, remember, they don't hate you. They hate change, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> I would come in, and I would, like, one day I'm carrying blueprints for the church parking lot because we have to get the redone. One time I'm carrying, you know, the new wall flooring samples, and there's interior designers that just sit there, and I'm like, which color of white? You know, like, I love interior design and so I want us to really honor the space that's there mm-hmm. you know we have all of our signs are made for free by a community um amazing community a group called um wood snap so they put all of our stuff on reclaim wood of course um but it has all been all of these connections have come from and being in the community you know I laugh when people are like so how many hours do you spend in the office and I'm like all of them because like, <laughs> I feel like our office is just the library will be closing. Um, I've been watching have you ever seen father brown any either of you I've watched I think I think I picked up one episode um, it's like this BBC show about a, yeah. a, a vicar in a community who solves crimes and I keep watching it and I'm not I love it. Part of it is my British roots, right? Being with my family. Um, but the other part of it, I think for me, is that he is so in the community. You don't ever see him sitting in the church working on his sermon. Now, I don't think he doesn't work on a sermon. I think we have to work on our craft. But I think sometimes I'm working on my craft when I'm sitting on the couch talking to the girls that actually work at another church. There's like two other churches that office out of the space. And they've become my best friends. And we don't compete for people in any way, shape, or form. We're more interested in like, hey, what makes you uniquely you? Yeah, I can't do that. So y'all take whoever needs that. You know, um, it's been interesting. I've been sent people that are um, struggling with like being uh, gay in their community and they don't know who to talk to. And they'll be like, so my pastor came and told me to come speak to you. And I'm like, huh, interesting. 
because that's not my story, but a lot of people in my community, that is their story. And so I have experience in that, but I think that you're right. You know, whether you're coaching a little league game or you're um, hanging out with uh, folks in a, in a workspace, there's just this beauty of being out of our offices, especially if I don't have one, which I don't. Yeah. Well, and that also, I mean, I think my, the very first church I served, uh, I actually made the office into the parlor and then I officed out of the house and then I was spent most of the time up at the school and the post office. Cause that's where the central, that's where everybody was. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that's just kind of that, um, it'd be nice if everybody realized that and that, you know, like, especially in this day and age of being connected with cell phones and all that stuff, it's easy to get a hold of a pastor. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it is what it is. It's really hard to like, we can't count our hours anymore and I don't think we should. <laughs> we have to make our space. You know, and that's yeah. like, today I had to tell someone, you know, one of our contracting stuff going on, because we have a bunch of redevelopment we have to do. So also I'm a project manager of a massive redevelopment in the middle of the city. Um, and I'm working on really hard on uh, kind of getting some of that stuff put on other people's plates. But when you don't have trustees that can do, you don't have a trustee board. Right. Um, the trustees that are there, that were there before, are really um, quite elderly and mm-hmm or aren't capable of doing things for all kinds of reasons. So, and then in this day and age, most of my folks work. And so asking them yeah. to contractors or do what yeah. could be done before is really hard. But today one of the contractors called me and I said, Joel, I'm just gonna let you know, it's my day off. I'm not gonna talk to you about this. <laughs> because I've spent so many evenings and mornings and whatnot doing this stuff. So it, you do have to create balance when you create a environment in which you work all the time. Yeah, you do. The boundaries is something we talk about a whole bunch uh, and, and healthy boundaries and really unhealthy boundaries because we create those too. Um, you know, we, we, gosh, Sarah, thanks for being on. We've yeah. covered a lot. Uh, you know, you have an open invitation to come on and, and uh, you know, talk about woodworking anytime you want. <laughs> yes, that's People awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my work. I've got a little bit of, I got a little wood shop in, in my garage, so that. Oh, that's my dream. I could, I let, let's just, just come on and let's talk about that. Ooh, I like it. I'll never have a beard, but I can saw some wood. We, <laughs> we, we actually will superimpose one on you uh, in post, so that's the only <laughs> editing we do. <laughs> no, we really that. do. We appreciate you um, being you. on and, and sharing your heart and, um, you know, passion for, for people, uh, yeah, much less ministry exactly. to God and all of those things. It's, it's really awesome. Um, you know, guys, go check out our book. Uh, we'll post some links of it on our website and um, in, in various places on social media and stuff like that. Uh, you can also check us out at uh, beardedtheologians.com. We've got sweet coffee mugs um, and shirts and hats and all kinds of things. So um, is this going on before or after Mother's Day, Matt? Uh, it will go on, I think, the week of Mother's Day. Okay. So if, <laughs> Moms do need that. We have some awesome yeah. pink uh, uh, Bearded Theologians coffee mugs. Uh, so if you're late on the Mother's Day thing, you can get them quickly <laughs> and make up for it with some flowers or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But we have some really cool blog posts coming up. Um, you can check out all of that out on the website. And uh, if you don't mind, like us on iTunes and Google Play. If you'll drop a, a little rating in there, that helps us get out to more people. Uh, download us on YouTube. Uh, if we can get to 100 followers, we can do some pretty cool things there as well. So share this with your friends. Uh, Sarah, again, thanks for being on. Of course. Um, and for the Beard of Theologians, I'm Zach Bechtold. And I'm Matt Franks. Thanks for checking us out. 
Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and we hope that you share our content online uh, through Facebook and social media, and we hope that you check out our uh, Beardcast store at beardedtheologians.com and pick up some great Bearded Theologians gear. We hope you have a good day.